0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: When it comes to maternal mortality, mothers dying due to complications related to pregnancy or birth, the United States does not compare well to other industrialized nations. In fact, we have the highest rate of maternal mortality among all the industrialized nations in the world, and the rate is rising. According to the CDC, in 2020, 861 women were identified as having died of maternal causes in the United States. The maternal mortality rate for 2020 was 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births. The maternal mortality rate for women of color in the United States is much higher. In 2020, the maternal mortality rate for non-Hispanic black women was 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. That's three times the rate for white women. And the disparity is worse in Iowa. Black mothers in Iowa are six times more likely to die than white mothers. This hour, we're going to explore what some of the reasons for that may be, and we'll meet Iowa Women who are working hard to change that reality. A little bit later in the program, I'll bring on Jasmine Brooks. She's co-founder of the Iowa Black Doula Collective. She's also a certified doula and lactation specialist. And Stephanie Van Rolkel, who is Healthy State Nurse Consultant with Every Step in Des Moines, a nonprofit healthcare and human services organization. And Latasha DeLoach, president of the board for Sankofa Outreach Connect. You're also welcome to join the conversation this hour with your experience experiences, your concerns. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100. You can also send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. My first guest today is Sophia DiMartino. She is an editorial fellow with the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. She is also a community relations and grants director with Horizons, a family service alliance. And she is a black mother of three who nearly died twice Sophia, thank you so much for being here. Good morning. So, Sophia, I know this is a difficult story to tell, but I do want to go back in time to when you gave birth to your first child, you
2: nearly died. Can you tell me what happened? I did. I had my first pregnancy at um, 15 years old, so I was a high school sophomore. Um, And I uh, went into labor. Um, I actually, I, I went into school um, the day that I went into labor early because I had an essay um, that I was sending in for a contest and I, want, I was trying to win $500. And um, so I went in in the morning, finished my essay, submitted it, and then I went into labor by first period. Oh, and you, <laughs> you did win that essay contest.
1: I did. Which is, I did. That, that's some, some good news. Also, a beautiful child came into the world that day. But what happened during your labor and delivery that put you at risk?
2: So during my labor and delivery, I unfortunately... Um, I was given uh, Pitocin to speed along um, the process of delivery and my son actually ended up uh, arriving into the world so fast that I I burst two blood vessels and um, I had two hematomas, um, one the size of a grapefruit and one the size of an apple, and uh, I had to be rushed into emergency surgery following. Um, I was actually in the hospital for, I think, about two weeks. Um, My son went home before I went home and... um, I, I had a really rough time uh, both with that delivery and then uh, with the, the recovery period there in the hospital. There was actually a time in which um, I requested that my son be brought in um, to the room from the nursery in the hospital. And the nurse said, well, maybe he doesn't want to see you. Wow. When you were in the hospital, I mean, you were a, a very young
1: mother and in this terrible and frightening situation what do you remember about that time as, as far as uh, people listening to you and responding to your needs?
2: I think that my, my challenges were maybe double <laughs> because I was so young and because, you know, people sort of saw me as, as a child in that context. But I had a really hard time um, with people taking me seriously, with people listening to me, with people understanding some of the challenges that I was going through. And the second time around, unfortunately, was not better.
1: Tell me about that.
2: Um, So after my second child was born, shortly thereafter, um, I ended up having a cyst that had to be lanced. And so I went in to um, see someone to have that lance. Uh, I was told this is Dr. So-and-so, and so so she lanced it and sent me home. Um, And unfortunately, I started hemorrhaging. Um, during the process, she had cut an artery accidentally and didn't realize it and just sort of sent me home that way. And so my mother came and rushed me to the emergency room. Um, I informed everyone there, I've just been through this, I've just been through this. And unfortunately, um, they were not really paying attention to that. I had a, a male doctor who was standing over my bedside, a white male doctor who was telling me, you know, I think it's just that time of the month. And I'd had two children. I was really cognizant of the difference between that time of the month and something is seriously wrong. And so over the course of four hours, I bled out half the blood in my body and I was anemic for a year.
1: Wow. You had these just terrible experiences personally. Do you remember when you first realized that this was not just something that happened to you? but something that was part of a much bigger problem in this country and in this state.
2: I do. So to sort of wrap up the the um, my my second experience, the only reason that they caught what had gone on is that my mother went into the hallway and summoned all of her care and abilities and said, bring a woman doctor in here. And the woman immediately recognized that I was bleeding from the artery and sent me to surgery. And that's what saved my life. Um, when I realized, you know, following this, I was I was uh, I had moved to Cedar Rapids and was an undergrad at the University of Iowa. And um, I started reading a book by Harriet A. Washington that was called Medical Apartheid and learning about some of the historical context of race and healthcare in this country that I had never known. And, you know, Iowa, I heard before this some of the statistics about, um, you know, the percentage of Iowa that it consists of of black people. At the time, it was even less so. So it was very isolated and isolating. I thought I was the only one until I learned through a book, this is an experience that has been happening across this country for centuries. Gosh, how did you react? Um, you know, at the time, I had less agency. Um, I had less information. I wasn't in the position that I'm in now where I had this network of people that, you know, could all work together to make something happen. But I carried it with me until I did. So you can imagine, I'm sure, that that there are many
1: women today who do feel that same sense of isolation. And the fact that black women are so much more at risk in pregnancy and birth than other mothers in this country is not well known. So you've been doing a lot of work to try to raise awareness of this. Uh, tell me a little bit about your goals.
2: Um, so a friend of mine actually uh, posted on Facebook when Serena Williams had her issues in childbirth. She made a Facebook post about it. And, you know, the the sentiment, the comments was really, if Serena's not safe, if Beyonce's not, none of us are safe. Um, And so we we formed an organization called the Black Maternal Health Collective. And over the past few years, we've been working to raise awareness of the issue um, and to bring together healthcare, to bring together um, local stakeholders, social service organizations, elected officials to try and move the needle toward equity so that we can save black lives. This hour, I'm going to be talking to other women
1: with the same mission who are working in different organizations. And it, it did strike me that these are a lot of disparate organizations with the same goal. And of course, they are working one-on-one with women to, to try to keep those women safe. But do you feel like there is a lack of overall understanding and, and mission surrounding Black maternal health in
2: medicine right now? So part of the challenge is that the knee-jerk reaction is to try and separate these bad things from ourselves and so we say oh well maybe it's diet well maybe it's income well maybe it's access well maybe it's education but the statistics hold even when you control for income even when you control for education and socioeconomic status and I think what's missing is that people still are a little bit hesitant to address the elephant in the room which is it's bias that is killing us. We are going to explore
1: ways that individuals can help, but bias is killing black women in this country. And that's a much bigger
2: problem. How do you think we address that in medicine? Um, so I, I will start by saying I'm not a medical expert, yeah. but I think that there is um, opportunity for us to address it in terms of policy by ensuring that for those working toward uh, entering the medical profession. There is specific training related to DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, related to implicit bias, um, related to the historical context of race and medicine in this country so that you can build more understanding around the people going into this field. Additionally, we know that black patients with black doctors have better outcomes across the board. So the more that we can create pathways um, and access for more black students to become black doctors will be better off. The statistic that I mentioned earlier that uh,
1: black women in Iowa who are becoming mothers are six times higher or more at risk than white women becoming mothers in Iowa. That's such a shocking statistic. And why do you think that it's twice as bad in Iowa
2: as it is in the rest of the country? It's it's difficult for me to be specific about why that might be. But what I can say is that there was a study a few years ago um, that indicated that Iowa and specifically the Cedar Falls Waterloo area are some of the worst places in the country for black people to live. Um, We see disparities that are greater here related to criminal justice. We see disparities here that are greater related to unemployment. So it's not really surprising that that would extend to maternal health as well what do you want people who are
1: listening today to take away from this conversation? I mean, a lot of us are not black
2: women who are going to be giving birth. What can we do? You do have access to your networks. You do have access potentially to resources that could support the efforts that are working to save black lives in this community and in this state. Um, So, you know, what I like to say when I'm I'm out doing any kind of um, support for a nonprofit is you can give us your time, you can give us your money, or you can tell everybody and their mom. So go out there and volunteer if you see an opportunity. If you're in a space that we don't have access to and you're if you're in a room where you're hearing misinformation and you're the only one there, be the one to speak up and counteract it.
1: Sophia, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Sophia DeMartino, she is an editorial fellow with the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. She is also community relations and grants director with Horizons, a family service alliance, and one of the forces behind the Black Maternal Health Collective. And she's a mother of three, and she almost died twice in childbirth.
0: Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics. Treatment for varicose veins and spider veins. Also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor vein and aesthetics.com Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine. Offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com.
1: This hour, we are talking about black maternal health in this country. It's a crisis. When it comes to maternal mortality, the United States does not compare well to other industrialized nations. In fact, we are last in terms of the maternal mortality rate for industrialized nations in the country. But for women of color in the United States, the situation is much worse. For non-Hispanic Black women, the maternal mortality rate is three times the rate for white women. That's across the country. In Iowa, it is six times the rate. This hour, we're talking about Black maternal health and what can be done to change this reality. With me now is Jasmine Brooks, a certified doula and lactation specialist. She's also a second-year PhD student at Iowa State University studying Black maternal health and medicine. Jasmine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I would love to start with your sort of origin story. When did you learn about this problem and the magnitude of this problem?
3: Absolutely. Um, so i um, I am a, uh, a transplant to Iowa. I've been here about six years, and so I came here through Iowa State University uh, serving as their bio uh, prevention coordinator. And I got an email uh, from the work of LaSafia Coleman uh, about black maternal health, and it sparked my curiosity because I recently got married at that time, and we were talking about children, and I didn't really know what the landscape was because, you know, it didn't dawn on me that this was still a thing. Um, And so I started doing more digging and got uh, connected to the National Black Doula Association. Uh, Went down to Atlanta, got trained as one of their first cohorts of doulas came back here, found our community through the collective, and started our first lactation, Black lactation group. So it's just been taking off since then. And uh, like the previous person that talked about was like, wow, we are still sitting in this type of archaic experience. Like I can't imagine, I couldn't imagine that this was really an experience that Black bodies were having, Black families were having, um, not just in the medical spaces, but just in our
1: community. Now, this has been an issue in this country for a long time. I feel like in recent years it has gotten more attention and the magnitude of the problem and the magnitude of the racial disparity within the problem has has really come to light in some new ways. I, I'm sure that a lot of women who hear these stories these days think, yeah, I knew this 20 years ago. I knew this 30 years ago. I had that exact experience. But um, tell me a little bit about the awareness that you see growing around this problem.
3: Yeah, um, I, I feel like there's so many avenues um, of growth. I think the first is, as you already mentioned, research. I feel like there's a strong backing of um, grants and support for more research, more folks to get trained um, and receive education when it comes to health sciences. Um, this growing number of um, need for Black, you know, midwives um, and midwifery care. I also see just within our community, uh, folks willing to step up and, you know, become doulas be a part of the solution. We talk a lot about, you know, you know, black maternal mortality and black infant mortality, and we could stay on that subject forever. Um, but really getting down to it, right. Of addressing this bias, um, the ways in which I'm trying to do that is, is, is that dual work of being in that, in that medical space, being that bridge functioning as you know, that, that uh, person that addresses the gaps are strongest, ways of supporting that is training more doulas, is providing more uh, doula support uh, for our low-income families, um, as well as looking at increasing lactation support for our Black families and, and thinking about long-term what that means. When we talk about health disparities and we talk about um, these issues that we, you know, you know, really re-victimize these families on is, well, they're not eating good or they're not doing this or, um, it's, it's because of, you know, these behaviors that this is what's going on. And it's like structurally we've created this. We think about the inception of our medical system. It was rooted out of uh, sl- shadow slavery. Um, you can read that in Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. She talks deeply about how colonialism has impacted black Americans, you know, medical exper- experimentation um, to reproductive justice issues. This has always been a fight on black bodies to just be able to have children the way that we want, um, how we want, and to be able to, you know, sufficiently take care of them the way that we see that we need to.
1: Now, I I think a lot of people are still not familiar with what a doula is. It's a person, a a woman typically, who is employed to to really provide guidance and support to a pregnant woman during labor and also after the baby comes home as well. Um, So what you're saying is being a, a knowledgeable support person within that space that gives you the, the, the opportunity to be an advocate and an opportunity to identify problems if they do crop up?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to speak to all birth workers because we all show up in this space in so many unique, unique ways. We talk about midwifery, to doula work, uh, to birth coaching, right? We're always showing up. I think what's unique about Black doulas in supporting black families is we're family to them. We are the folks that are standing um, in those moments that they are looking to us for having informed, making informed decisions uh, to navigating, creating their care team, to finding childcare, to you know, um, helping out with employment needs. Like we, we do a lot. Our primary goal, right, is to have a healthy birth parent, healthy baby. And however that is shaped, right, through education, through processing, their labor and delivery needs, to their birth preferences. Uh, but we know that birth is, you know, something that can be different when you show up into the room. We've, we never know how babies are going to respond to contractions. And so to make sure that they're in that space knowing all of their choices. To make sure their voice is amplified, their, their support person is amplified, and they feel empowered um, regardless of what that outcome looks like and what that additional support looks like at postpartum, right? We, we miss out on the conversation of what postpartum looks like, and I always will emphasize that we need more mental health providers that can support Black families um, because we, we, we see a large um, – we see a big challenge, like once they, you know, are discharged that we're having to navigate mental health needs because of what is showed up in that space. And I do think that impacts their, you know, perceptions and ability to be those parents that they want to be. Um, and so we're always having to, you know, be there in so many different ways, not only for them, but for their entire family.
1: Now, I know a lot of women have really come to understand the power of having a doula involved in this process and, and how that can help. It's also not something that is usually covered by insurance. So there's a, an equity issue within doula care as well, isn't there? Absolutely. Yes, doula, doula care could be
3: very challenging to obtain. Um, we don't have a ton of doula support per, you know, person. I can't remember the, the data that we collected, but I think it's something of, like, you know, out of one doula that's 66 families or something like that. And so, like, we, we also have to take breaks. We're also human. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've unfortunately had to turn families away because I can't, I can't um, serve them because I've already, you know, been booked. I think also financially there is a is a big gap. Um, fortunately, we've we've been able to partner with the Iowa Black sorry, the um, IDPH Iowa Department of Public Health to start this process of like what does it mean to you know address that issue. And so with the Dula project, we're supporting families across a number of counties, uh, virtually and in person, um, to really help in um, increasing this knowledge base of like hey this is a solution. Um, you know, doula reimbursement um, can be an effective solution for the state um, and really thinking about long term what that could look like.
1: You have dug into this research in, in a very powerful way. And I asked Sophia just a few minutes ago, you know, this is a problem across the country, but this problem is worse in Iowa. Do you have insight into that? Why do you think it's twice as bad in Iowa?
3: Yeah, I, I think a couple of things, um, the closing of birth centers, we, we don't really realize when we um, see the impact of that, that increases, you know, the, the work of our medical providers. They're having to, you know, think of solutions to get folks in and out, and sometimes that can be very challenging when you're wanting to provide care. So I want to uh, honor, honor that experience. Um, I think also, too, the medical biases. Um, I think Iowa has this concept of Iowa nice and that we love on everyone who comes here. And I think sometimes that can be overshadowed by the fact that you're missing the cultural piece. You're missing the uniqueness of my black skin and how um, that may show up and how that may increase bias when you're ignoring it. Um, I think this concept of folks thinking they know better about someone else's body. Um, Western medicine in general has this thing of looking at pregnancy as a disease, something to be cured, something to be addressed. And it's like, well, you're missing the, the body that's behind it, right? You're missing the piece of this person that's also having to take care of the baby that you're helping to bring into the world. Um, and so we look at just um, little concepts of posting pictures of, you know, um, just the pregnant, you know, belly. That That is also an, an, a, a great example of how we just do not, the pregnant person. We think about um, how we celebrate pregnant people. It's about the baby. We're missing the pregnant person. Just culturally speaking here, it could be these are some of the challenges. And I think, too, just folks are having to travel long distances for quality care, having to make those choices of do I travel 40 minutes or an hour, hour and a half to go to a doctor that sees me that can be very challenging when you think about increased visits, when you think about high risk, when you think about, um, again, all these challenges that can be presented to somebody to be able to make these decisions. Can, this this really is how we are decreasing access. And so for folks, again, black bodies, we are falling further in the margins because of the health disparities that we Um, are having to face because of the birth center challenges, because of the bias, because of the lack of cultural center care.
1: Is it also a problem of a lack of providers of color in this state, a lack of black doctors, a lack of black nurses?
3: Absolutely. It it goes right in line with the culture center care. Like we need to have representation. Uh, We've seen already in research with, you know, in California, right? Like these having a black doctor increases um, the quality of care exponentially, right? When it comes to the per- the pregnant person to the infant, um, it just there's just a uniqueness that we understand each other, and I think that's a very hard thing for folks who are new to this conversation to grasp when they talk about like, well, why are you creating, you know, exclusive black spaces? Because there is a different conversation that we can have with each other that roots out the issues that they could have. They could tell me things that they may, may not want to tell you. And it's nothing against you and your ability to do something or your qualifications, your certifications. This is beyond all of those things. This is about culture, right? It's it's about the sharing of that culture and their, their the uniqueness in how Black folks are communal. We are communal people. We are supposed to be together. Um, and that, that does not mean centering whiteness in that. And I think a lot of people don't process like okay well what does it mean to do center whiteness it is allowing black folks to be together and for you to think about how policies and procedures are inhibiting those things
1: from happening you as a doula have supported black families and non-black families when since you've had that experience can you see a difference in how a family of color might be treated from a white family
3: I do. I see, I see it with language barriers. Um, I see it with culture. Um, I see it with race differences. It's, you know, There's different conversations, different accessibility and resources provided ahead of time. We think about providing lactation support. It is always after the fact with my Black families and not during pregnancy. And so I've had to rearrange the way that I talk to my Black families and, and getting them to be in a good place because they're wanting to feed from their body. Um, and you know what? What does that mean to plan for that? To think about their, um, to think about their employment, to think about um, their transportation, like all of those things. The care at home, we need to talk about those things ahead of time. My white families are uh, families that I talked to who are non-black. Um, there's just a different. There's just a different air for them. I think there's a different level of caretaking. Um, and responsiveness. Um, it's it's so hard to explain because I feel it. I feel it when I walk in the room. I feel it in, in their aura, right? When they when they it's like this knowingness of like I can do this. Uh, when my black families have already felt disempowered, you know, from the, the times of going to their provider and being questioned about, you know, their ability to take care of their child and oh I'm just gonna assume you're on Medicaid. So these are the ways that this shows up for you. Um, to, you know, just being misinformed about who they are as a person um, and how their parenting will show up. And so I, I do feel it, and there are different ways that I, I support them. I feel all of my families, I love them all, and they've been great, and the journey has been very insightful for me. So I, but I think I'm always being reminded with black bodies, with black birthing parents, that this is still a long road.
1: Awareness is a big part of this battle. What And and you're obviously having an incredible impact on the individuals that you're connecting with and and helping other doulas connect with as well. But what do you think needs to happen on on a larger policy level or a, a cultural level that would really make a difference for black mothers in Iowa?
3: Yeah, I I always reference the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Uh, They've they've been, you know, pioneers to this work of what does it mean to address this issue? They talk about increased access uh, of resources, of support, Um, and thinking about, I mentioned already, the reimbursement of, you know, doulas and and allowing folks to have decisions on where they give birth and who they give birth with. So not just assuming someone wants to give birth in a hospital. Sometimes folks want a midwife or to be birthing at home because that's what is what is important to them. Um, I think about us having to address the the barriers, the health disparities that are common amongst folks that are within marginalized spaces. So when we talk about employment and and, um, and um, just in general like healthcare adjacent needs, um, what is like what exactly are we not doing with these families? That to be better, that could just be enhanced, right? We talk about um, with lactation, a lot of my families have to go back to work the next day. Why are we not talking through postpartum um, and that postpartum care and that, you know, health insurance covering those things um, and not just the basics, right, of, you know, three meetings and then they're done, but really thinking about focusing on what that long-term, that long-term plan looks like. Um, But there's so many other things within that toolkit that could really be helpful to people as we start to think about critical steps of, again, policy changes, practice changes. I always ask, like, why do we do it this way? Is this truly necessary? Do you have to do this? And I always get these pauses because folks are really having to think about, well, I don't know why we do this. And maybe we're doing this because, this is what has happened. Our policy and practice is to catch up with the times. Like I mentioned this is a very archaic thing that folks are dying giving birth compared to any other industrialized, you know, country in the yeah. world and we can we can debate about what industrialization and
1: colonialism means. But um Jasmine, I mean, we, we are out of time for this part of the conversation, okay. but thank you so much for being here.
0: Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at UpstreamFM.com.
1: This hour, we're talking about black maternal health, and that's a crisis in this country. The United States has a problem with a maternal mortality rate. We have the highest maternal mortality rate of the industrialized nations in the world. But for non Hispanic black women, It is three times the rate of white women. And in Iowa, it is six times the rate of white women in Iowa. So this hour, we're talking about black maternal health and what can be done to alter this reality. In just a few minutes, Latasha Deloach will be here. She's the president of the board for Sankofa Outreach Connect. With me now is Stephanie Van Rolkel. She is a Healthy Start nurse consultant with Every Step in Des Moines. Hello, Stephanie.
4: Good morning, Charity.
1: Thank you so much for being here. And I understand Health or every step really focuses on maternal health for all women in Iowa. Tell me specifically about some of the efforts that, that you have made to try to help black mothers in the state.
4: Yeah, so every step is a nonprofit here in Des Moines. And we actually offer services, prenatal services through end of life care through our hospice program. Um, But the services I work with, Healthy Start specifically, um, we have some home visiting programs that provide support and empowerment and advocacy to pregnant people and families. Um, We accept participants into our program for no cost, regardless of their insurance status. Um, And we literally and figuratively meet our families where they are. So that's in their home, that's at the library, that's in our office. We just want to meet with them and just help support them, advocate, empower them. Um, We connect people to resources, medical and social needs, Um, just have such a a wide variety of services that we offer. Um, But specifically about Black maternal mortality and, and Black maternal health, Um, we are just really starting some new initiatives to to address this need. Um, Part of our Every Step program, or I'm sorry, part of our Healthy Start program has a community action network, uh, which is a collaboration of organizations in our community that we're just focusing on improving the lives of people in Polk County through health impacts. And so um, we did a recent um, focus on infant safe sleep. Right now we're working on Black maternal mortality um, and just the disproportionality of how that affects that community. Um, and so we um, will have some different offerings for events and classes coming up as well. Um,
1: so part, our, part of your efforts are, are really to empower mothers so that they can identify when there's a problem and advocate for themselves and ask for help, right?
4: Absolutely. That's the biggest thing is just, you know, empowering people to speak up and to know their worth and what they are due from healthcare services, what, what they deserve and what they need and are entitled to.
1: Now, we know that that there are times uh, and many times for black mothers when they realize that they need help but are not listened to, and that that's a huge part of this problem. And we referenced Serena Williams' story earlier in the hour, and she did an incredible job really raising awareness of this issue by sharing her own birth story, and that was an issue there where she was not being listened to even though she knew something was wrong what do you think you can do and we can do to change that part of it? Because it's one thing for a mom to know that something's wrong, but it's another for her to get the help that she needs. That's right.
4: Um, Yes, when we have people like Serena Williams and Beyonce speaking up and they're still not being heard with this celebrity status, we know. That's just such a glaring problem. Um, Yeah, so just encouraging people to know what their rights are, to know um, the physical signs of when there could be a complication or what I like to call the danger signs of pregnancy and postpartum. Um, Through our programs with our nurses, we just really emphasize, you know, if you see this You know this this or this you need to speak up and you need to sometimes push and and really stand up for yourself and that's sometimes so much easier said than done um you know i it's just such a it's such a problem i think sophia and jasmine did a really good job about drawing the attention to the bias the implicit bias the structural racism those are just huge issues um in iowa unfortunately. And if we can just really empower these women, um, that's just a small part of what we can do to help this problem.
1: And we talk a lot about the the risk issues that are related to social disparities. But we also know that this is a problem for black women across all socioeconomic levels and education levels, etc. So, I mean, in Iowa, we need to work on on those social disparities. But this goes farther than that.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It really does. Um, you're right. The social determinants of health are so huge for for a lot of the families. But you're right. Like there's such a wide range of, of people in the socioeconomic status, um, you know, kind of ladder. And so, um, yeah, addressing things like the structural racism, but also things like um, who is your support system at home and, you know, kind of that informal support system. Those are, are big steps in this, too.
1: Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yes, thank you so much. Stephanie Van Roelkel is a Healthy Start Nurse Consultant with Every Step in Des Moines, a nonprofit healthcare and human services organization. And my final guest of today is Latasha Delote. She is president of the board for Sankofa Outreach Connect. It's an organization of women of color from diverse backgrounds who are working to retain and sustain women of color and their families in the Johnson County area. Hello, Latasha.
5: Hello.
1: Thank how you. Today. Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for being here today. And I mean, obviously, I, I just described the work that you do through Sankofa and it is uh, goes well beyond maternal health. But tell me about how black maternal health disparities are part of of this puzzle in, in trying to give Iowans, black Iowans, a, a place and an opportunity to thrive.
5: Well, I guess I have to go back to a little bit of what Sophia was saying. She said she had a friend that posted on Facebook about Black maternal health. That was me. <laughs> um, as uh, you know, Sankofa Outreach Connection um, is a uh, umbrella for the Black Women's Maternal Health Collective here locally. Um, it, it, it's its own thing, or the fiscal agent for it, um, because we're supporting all women of color in the best ways that we can. And if that's just being a 501c3 until that's established for them, then we wanna do that. But I I have my hands in both, um, being that I'm a black woman who's been a mother and have experienced my own experiences here. And we are um, committed to this for lots and lots of different reasons. Um, The black maternal health issue that is the most surprising for me is that most of the time it's preventable. And when we're looking at the statistics, majority of the women who are dying are black women who are highly educated. Um, And so we're looking like what's going on? Why is this? Why is this happening? Um, And as a woman who is highly educated, and in a situation where I could have lost my life, or my children could have lost their life, I have lots of questions, right? I I want answers because this doesn't make any sense. Um, And so We're deeply committed to supporting women on the, like, more meso level, looking specifically at what we can do as a community to provide um, a space and community. Because one thing we know about being women of color in Iowa is there's usually some type of low-level depression that happens when you're here because we're so isolated. And so we try to provide opportunities for moms to come together. If we're going to do a family day at the Children's Museum or whatever it is, we can bring your kids you can come you can hang out but it's an opportunity to provide support because one thing we do know about um, pregnancies for black birthing people is that the support is needed it's community that's needed that's what the doulas and the midwives and different folks are so effective is because we come from a communal community like that's a part of our culture um so those are things that are really important in what senkova Outreach Connection wants to make sure that we're doing here in the community.
1: So uh, I want to just amplify again what you said, in that, you know, I, I think that a lot of times when people look at a problem that affects Black Americans, they say, well, that's because of socioeconomic problems, which, of course, is, right. is, is a big problem in this country. But what you're saying is that black women are at risk not because of their socioeconomic levels when no. they're giving birth, but because they are black women.
5: Exactly. Exactly. It, 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 when we look at it, it's just like it's crazy. The The, the issue is, is that 22 percent of black women receive lower uh, service of care. Right. Um, they're less likely to get culturally competent and culturally humility uh, cultural humility um, care when they're um, receiving care at hospitals, um, and they're not listened to. As all the previous guests have said, they're they're not listened to. Um, I've had situations where nurses have literally taken my phone out of my hand and said I was ignoring my children, who were currently in my belly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really I was really shocked um, about some of my treatment from medical professionals. Um, and the reality was is I was texting my husband to tell him where I was located at <laughs> and to have someone take your phone. is like the complete disrespect there. So if you're not listening to me, you're you're treating me like a child. Yeah. You're and not going to hear my concerns.
1: You mentioned the isolation that a black Iowan, a black woman, but a black Iowan might feel just because they live in Iowa.
5: Tell me a little bit
1: more about that.
5: Well, I mean, we're very isolated. If you ask the average black woman, if they have colleagues that are people of color, they're probably going to tell you no, or they're going to tell you maybe there's one or two. Um, It's, 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 I mean, everywhere around me. um, I've lived in Iowa for a long time now. And most times, I'm usually the only person. Many times, my children are the only kids of colors that are a color that are integrating spaces, integrating different sports teams, Um, it's isolating. You can't help but notice even, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter. It's like, Mom, we're the only black people here. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? So it's everywhere that you go. And so that feels very isolating when you don't see other people like you. So imagine going into a hospital where you're way less likely to see someone who looks like you to be able to really truly explain some of your cultural needs and your cultural wants with your birthing experience. And you just sometimes, even if you feel like you could say you feel terrified, you feel scared to advocate for yourself that way. And that's a part of that isolation is I already feel invisible. What is the point of me saying anything? Because I don't think I'm going to be heard anyways?
1: Now, throughout the hour, so much of the, the efforts that we've talked about to to help rectify this problem have been focused on educating and empowering black women. And that seems like a very, very important part of the puzzle. But Black women can't fix this problem themselves. So from your perspective, what are the other pieces of the puzzle?
5: Doctors need cultural, competent teachings about care, about listening. I mean, even if we just do an act of listening for doctors um, uh, or nurses, that could be such a huge difference because the issue is is that people are not being listened to. It's not just that, but they're not being believed. And that's where the bias comes in. That's where the structural racism comes in. Well, you know, when we say structural racism, people feel like they can walk away from it. But the reality is, is, it's not personal, right? It's not like you personally are mad at this lady that came in here and was pregnant. It's a part of the structure. You have been taught from the beginning of medical school, that basically you've been taught bias to not listen to as much of of Black women when they're speaking because Black women in society literally have been ignored and invisible for centuries. And so you are inherently working in a system that was not created for Black women, nor did it ever tend to care for Black women. So you're being taught this throughout your education. So there has to be things to reverse that there has to be things to bring attention to, to soften your heart to that your mind can hear and understand that this is a serious issue. The fact that most medical people at the university, or at one of our local hospitals knows nothing about this topic is scary.
1: Well and and as you're saying I mean we're we are seeing doctors and, and other healthcare providers be socialized in this environment with structural racism and so while it's not being explicitly taught it, it is ingrained in the system so it has to be explicitly taught
5: to counteract it right Absolutely and and the, the issue the biggest mistake that organizations education businesses fail is that they forget to they forget to um, include DEI diversity and inclusion type of lessons as a part of the entire curriculum? They want you to take one class on cultural competence so you can check a box. But the reality is, is every single topic we do it impacts people different culturally. So why wouldn't these things be interwoven into those different classes? Why wouldn't it be interwoven into how you're acting in a clinic because those are things that's going to allow that to be normalized to you because it's not normal to you to be around people who are different than you and to serve them so we have to normalize it for our professionals so that when they come out they're not having to experiment on me when i'm coming in because i have bronchitis or i'm coming in because i'm six months pregnant because what happens is is that black women end up again in history we talked about the medical apartheid book Again, in history, right now in 2022, we're being experimented on. That's why we're dying, because we have a lack of understanding and a lack of cultural competent care. So therefore, we're more likely to die.
1: We only have about a minute left, but you have done a lot to bring black women together in Johnson County. And you mentioned that Facebook post that Sophia saw, and that was part of her not feeling so alone how do other women that, that you connect with respond? Do you find that, that the other black women that you start these conversations with do they, they what do they say about knowing someone else who has had this experience and, and knowing that people are aware of
5: this problem? So we have had some opportunities before COVID to bring women together to talk about this topic and we worked a little bit with Vice News on this topic as well during the election. And what we found is is some women were relieved to know that they weren't alone, to know that they weren't the only one that went through that, as well as we had some, some Black birthing folks that hadn't had children and they wanted children, but they were scared. And to know that they had that support, that there were people in the group that they can reach out to, makes a huge difference. That there's a platform that they can come and talk about these things makes a huge difference because the isolation, overwhelms you it affects your anxiety it affects your depression Um, when you're going through (laughs) having having children is is a whole task so you know being able to have that support it's huge to know that somebody else is like I've been through that I will go with you to a doctor's appointment if you need me to or you can call me afterwards and we can talk through it we may not be doulas but we are other mothers uh, and we're willing to um, hold people's hands through it or to support them in any way that we can.
1: Latasha, thank you so much for talking with me. Absolutely. Latasha Deloach is president of the board for Sankofa Outreach Connect. This hour, we've been talking about black maternal health. In Iowa, black mothers are six times more likely to die from complications related to pregnancy and birth than white mothers. This is Talk of Iowa.